0: Today's episode is sponsored by the American Homebrewers Association. Become a part of the U.S.'s largest community of homebrewers for just $48 a year by going to unitedwedrink.com AHA. What exactly do you get with your AHA membership? How about a year-long subscription to Zymergy Magazine, the world's longest-running homebrew magazine, exclusive deals and discounts at over 2,000 breweries, bars, and bottle shops across America discounts on Brewers Publication books and merchandise, access to a huge library of previous Homebrew Con seminars and talks, and early access to purchasing tickets to each year's Great American Beer Festival and Saver. Sign up now by going to unitedwedrink.com/aha and get a year's membership for just $48 and if you sign up now, you'll get a free gift. What's that gift? I'm not saying. You need to go see for yourself. It's pretty great. Support United We Drink, support homebrewing, and support the American Homebrewers Association at UnitedWeDrink.com AHA. The opinions and statements in this podcast do not represent those of the hosts' employers, coworkers, family, or imaginary friends. Now enjoy the show.
1: Happy hour, more like amateur hour. Welcome to United We Drink.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a podcast that is a part of a well-balanced daily commute diet. Welcome to United We Drink right here on unitedwedrink.com, as well as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music Podcasts, and wherever fine podcasts are found. My name is Mike Yurevich, and I am here all alone on this intro. Phil is not here for the episode at all. Uh, And Joel will be joining me a little bit later, and not too much later, because I can't do a monologue like this for all too long. Um, We have a really fun episode for you today. We have a, uh, a colleague in this industry, a person who listens to this show, and a person who I'd like to consider a friend in this industry. We're being joined by Matt Gilliland, from new belgium brewing in fort collins matt has been uh, with new belgium for nearly 23 years he's going to be celebrating his 23rd year working for new belgium in the next month or so Uh, he is the brew house supervisor there in uh, fort collins and he's going to talk a little bit with us about what all goes into that he's going to tell us about his his nearly 25 years worth of experience in the entire industry of uh, beer. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the culture that goes on there at New Belgium. And uh, just this is a person who we have looked up to for a long time. And we are so stoked to have him here on the show. So I, I think without further ado, let's jump into this conversation that Joel and I have with Matt Gilliland, also known as Matty Smooth from New Belgium Brewing. Well, uh, thank you for, for being on the show. Oh yeah, the pleasure's on mine for sure. Uh, you, you're definitely someone that I, I think that Joel and I wanted to have on the show when once we started talking about like let's start doing some guests because we we had we had queued up like topics for like our first 12 episodes and then as we were getting close to the end of that we were like you know what? maybe we should have some guests on we we know some people and uh, by that time like we had uh, built up I guess a rapport with you talking with you on Twitter and uh, we, I told the story before about how you like came and at, uh, the Portland CBC and like charged your cell phone next to us was like, Hey, can I sneak in here? And, uh, Joel was like, I was just in his seminar. That's funny. <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: And I do remember you guys. Cause I remember that moment. Cause I had just gotten out of there and that whole experience was kind of a funny story. How that came about anyway. I wasn't really even supposed to be the guy giving that presentation. <laughs> So, you know, that's, um, You're you were know, the Dante of, oh. Hicks
0: of that, uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. A lot of threads of fate wove to that moment.
0: <laughs> that was a, uh, what was it? A, a dry hopping or yeah. hopping? So,
1: yeah. I had just run through kind of our dry hopping technique and like how we, you know, did a lot of science to arrive at that point. Um, and, you know, what we have is now, most of our beer is dry hopped and we have this whole system where we can get all the beer in and out and the hops in and out in in 24 hours or less. And you know, it's very efficient, works really well. And in the process of doing so, one of our chemists had read some of the earliest stuff about biotransformation and he ended up dedicating his entire work time to doing biotransformation research Um, and we learned a lot about that and ended up, he ended up publishing some pretty early on stuff about that. And then that informed kind of the lat, the second half of that talk that I gave in 2015. And now that's something everybody knows and, and employs at least to some degree, you know,
0: and now tired hands gets all of the the credit for biotransformation. Credit.
1: I mean, there were a lot of, <laughs> a lot of people doing concurrent research, I think. Yeah. Um, but you know, they, they probably figured some stuff out that I wouldn't have known about otherwise, you know?
2: Well, with the uh, the way that hoppy beers have changed over the last few years, I mean that was twenty fifteen, yeah. And you know the hazies weren't at least intentionally upon us yet. Um, how how do you think you would give that talk today as opposed to five years ago?
1: Well, I think so much has changed now, right? And I think one of the things that I, I stressed at that time was was using your hops efficiently, you know, getting as much flavor out of out of the hop as you can, which I think, you know, everybody owes it to themselves to do. Nobody wants to make a beer that that is cost prohibitive in terms of hops, right? But also kind of the, you know, the agronomics of hops have changed and the hop suppliers have changed a lot. There's a lot more aroma hops in the ground. There's a lot more um, new aroma varieties coming out. So I would probably back off on the efficiency a little bit and just talk more about all the different things you can do with newer varieties and newer techniques and uh, the technology that people are coming out to kind of employ that. And even getting into using other hot products like, like uh, that Incognito product um, that is biotransformable and very interesting to use. Um, but again, I'd still probably still say Let's make sure there's enough hops for everybody to go around, and there were only like what five thousand brewers then, you know? <laughs> and that that was the big takeaway or takeaway that I took from
2: it. If if I could be redundant and, and nonsensical for a moment, um, you know, because I, I I've done different classes and seminars and things like that, and sometimes they're a lot of times they're taught or given by you know guys that are on your size or even much larger, like macro you know brewers, and a lot of the things they're saying are not easily practically applied to, you know, the majority of breweries because so many of them are so small. I mean, back then I was at a 15 barrel brewery. Now I'm at a three and a half. So, um, you know, a lot of what, you know, you had a lot of great information, but at least in my own case, it was not a lot that I could take back, but what I, what I did enjoy, and I always try to find something in in the seminars and classes is, you know, what you said about everyone having that responsibility. And I I still think it's true to this day. It, It feels like there is a lot of, irresponsible hop usage in the way that, you know, maybe a decade or so ago, we had the IBU wars. Now it's the tropical, how murky, how hazy, how gritty can it get, you know,
1: more. Well, and and that's the thing. I think the market has changed so much, right? People are willing to pay, you know, 18 or 20 or $28 for a four pack. And I mean, that would have been really unthinkable five years ago, I think. Oh yeah. Um, And so, the way that, that a lot of brewers are now you know, treating their product has changed because they can get enough money to cover those costs. I was talking to somebody last year when we had a GABF um, that's from not far from here. And he was like, yeah, we did this, you know, all these beer releases. We did three releases a week for months. And like, you know, then we hit him at the end with this quadruple dry hops, you know, of our version of our normal beer. And I was like, that's cool. What are the losses on that? Like, and he's like, oh, it's 40 forty eight percent, something like that wow. and I am oh, like oh my God <laughs> like you're you're then charging so much for it that you can afford to literally throw away half your beer yeah and oh, you know that's not the background I came from and I'm still not there mentally um, but people are doing it you know
0: We we've been using at our brewery uh, hop oils uh, from uh, glacier hops. And they I know they just did a webinar last week or the week before through the BA about some of their products and about uh, they they've started doing oils now that are helping keep haze uh, for brewers who are having issues with like drop (laughs) out in in their hazies. And it's just such a
1: problem, you know.
0: But what's funny, we, we use it in West Coast IPAs. Uh, it's just for some, just a, an extra punch of flavor. We, we dose it going into our bright tank. And uh, we, we're doing like 20 barrel batches and it's like 30 milliliters uh, going into there. And it, it, it adds a brightness to it that I can definitely tell. And this is, this is another hot product. That is helping keep uh, like allow our yields to be a little bit better. Like I think most recently our our flagship red IPA that I just moved a few days ago, we got 39 barrels into the bright uh, out of F V, like into a 40 barrel bright. That's that's pretty damn Great. good, I feel like, for yeah. our our IPA.
1: Similarly, we've used a, a product called Hopaid that's an anti foam that's that's entirely hop derived. Um, and you know, when we have a, you know, 1400 hectoliter batch going into a 2000 hectoliter tank, you'd think there's enough headspace there, but vigorous fermentation will kick it out of there. Um, and so, yeah, that's helped us with losses, uh, and foam retention, especially
0: nice. Yeah. Um, the, so you've been at new Belgium for how many so I started
1: years? In December of 97 so I'm coming wow. up on you know 23 years there next month, wow. which is kind of cool. But I'm not even the longest tenured person in the Fort Collins Brewing Department. Has we Jack have, been around longer than you? Jack has been around a few months longer than me. Yeah, okay. Jack Joyce. Uh, if you can get him to tell some stories sometime, that might be a good. One. <laughs> Up, I,
0: I have had the, the pleasure of hanging out with Jack before Uh where the previous brewery that Joel and I worked for oh, a couple nice. times we went up there. Our owner struck like a friendship up with Jack and like anytime we were up there calls, calls Jack and he takes us out or like takes us into the brewery. We uh one time me and another former co co-worker, we went out to dinner with Jack uh, and like, He's such a great dude. Like, Um, and yes, yeah. Previous wonderful story.
1: Previous to his his career at New Belgium, well, when I met him, he had hair down to his literally his ankles, (laughs) Um, and he had spent several years on tour sewing balloons in the parking lot of Grateful Dead shows. (laughs) Oh my god! (laughs) (laughs) You know, we all come from from diverse places. Yeah, all good. Yeah, and um, even so, my wife also works at New Belgium. And she'll be hitting 25 years in February, which is kind of crazy. We met there. Oh, wow. Um, I, didn't, so I didn't know that. That's a, yeah. that's a cool story. But love, yeah, it's weird. 23 is it's kind of an interesting milestone because I started there when I was 23. So I've literally spent half my life there. Wow. <laughs> and you worked uh,
0: at Boulder uh, Beer Company before
1: that? Yeah, I worked at Boulder Beer for a little over a year. And I worked at Left Hand Brewing for a little over a year. Um, and that's when I've been
0: working in craft beer, beer, your entire legal drinking life.
1: Basically. I mean, yeah, it was like, I started at Boulder probably a month or so after I turned 21. Wow. (laughs) Um, and had been homebrewing for several years before that. So, uh, you know, you could say my whole adult life has been dedicated to beer.
0: This is something you knew you wanted to do very early on.
1: Yeah, I guess so. Well, so I went, um, I threw hiked the Colorado Trail when I was like 19. And um, the Colorado Trail is a trail that takes the mountain route. It's about 500 miles from Denver to Durango and takes you through all the high mountains of Colorado. You actually cross the Continental Divide like 14 different times, um, and it's beautiful took us about seven weeks to do the whole thing. And I got back and I had this beard, this 19 year old with a beard. And that was like early in um, the very earliest stages of Colorado craft beer kind of blowing up. And I found that I could just walk into my local liquor store and be like, hey, have you tried this? And there was the guy that worked, it was this beer enthusiast. And he's like, oh yeah, and you gotta try this and this and this. And I ended up developing this great taste for the newest craft beers that were out there. Um, and being able to buy some of the classics, you know. I got into box and doppelbox and I got into vice beers and was drinking everything Schneider Weiss put out. Um, and then I shaved. And then, you know, that guy was like, Hey, I don't think I've ever seen your ID, man. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's a reason for that. Um, so I was like, Well, can I ever come back here? He's like, Not till you're 21, obviously, but you can make this stuff yourself. And sure enough, um, Yeah, the local homebrew store in Boulder was uh was what's brewing in Boulder. And um one of the guys that worked there behind the counter was um Paul Gatza. And he had been a brewer at uh Boulder Beer previously and then turned into this crazy homebrewer. Um, so he always had a couple of his beers on tap in the store and would give you like advice and hints and stuff. And you know, I was like, I think when I turn 21, I want to be a brewer. And he's like, Don't be a brewer. You're never gonna be a brewer. Like you'll never actually be get into the brewing side of things. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to try it. Challenge anyway. accepted. So, apparently. He did have the same hairstyle. <laughs> that was going to be a question. I, a yeah, I wanted
2: to ask, but I didn't want to ask. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that some things never changed. And Paul Gatz's hairstyle is definitely one of them. Uh, Paul is the, what's his title at the Brewers Association? Like, I think he's maybe president or... CEO. No, he's not CEO. That's Bob Pease, but he's like head of the brewers association, whatever the actual title is. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. If, if you're unfamiliar, look him up. He has a fantastic head of hair.
1: Um, what what did you pour yourself over there? So this is, um, we make this pilot series beers, uh, that we make like two of them a month and then do like a special can- release we actually bring a mobile canner into the brewery even though we have a big high-speed can line um because we can't fill the pipe between our current bright tanks and uh, the high-speed can line it would actually be more volume than our whole pilot batch is um (laughs) but so we do some interesting beers um we have a like a subscription club where you can subscribe and get you know two four packs a month for. I think it's like 18 bucks a month or something like that. It's really reasonable. Wow. Um, so people can come to New Belgium and still get a unique specialty beer every time, which is kind of fun. Uh, so this is a, a Dunkelweiss. Um, you know, my, one of my first real loves in craft beer and in kind of worldwide beer history beer. I like Weiss beers. We've been making this, um, we've been making these cellar club kind of specialty releases for a while. Uh-huh. And my really good friend Cody is one of the pilot brewers. And he was just like, hey, and We use one of your recipes that you cooked up over the years, and I have this recipe for a, a Dunkel Weizen beer, a strong Dunkel Weizen that uh, tastes really good. And I, I love the um, eugenol, the clove aspect of it, and the pepperiness from the phenols. So we actually add cloves and black pepper to this, oh. and it's a really easy drinking, but kind of spicy Dunkel. Clocks in at like ten percent. So wow!
2: <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> <laughs> and what size is a pilot batch over there?
1: So we have a 10 hectoliter system. It's like, you know, 9.8 barrels, something like that. Um, And we have two R and D brewers and then one actual brewer that works in the pilot system. And the R and D brewers are, and we, and a, we have a raw material procurement person for R and D. So they just come up with ideas for crazy flavors or real traditional beers or everything in between and kind of, throw it down the pike. I call it when they actually are ready to scale something up. um, I call that portfolio bowling because they'll take this new recipe and be like, sorry, bro, this is going to hurt and just roll it my way. And they're (laughs) like, Oh, ah, you know, that had to hurt. I'm like, thanks.
0: So, so, uh, your primary role over there, uh, you, you said brew house, uh,
1: supervisor. Yeah. So we have, um, We've got about 32 people in the brewing department in Fort Collins. Um, And we have you know, like a department manager and then three supervisors that overlook different areas. I take care of the brew houses. Um, My coworker Kelsey takes care of yeast and fermentation and my coworker Andrew does all the blending, dry hopping and filtration and finishing. Um, So we're each in charge of a functional area and then we're each in charge of like, you know, eight or nine of the brewers.
0: So when a, uh, like you said before, a pilot batch uh, recipe comes and it is decided, hey, let's scale this up. That is your uh, role to then scale it up?
1: Yeah, so I'll take what they, you know, we have kind of this shared set of documents that flow through the whole process and they'll actually build up, you know, the recipe that's scaled for 10 hectoliters, And then when it's finally approved to move to the big system, I'll take that and actually scale that to whichever brew house we're going to start brewing it in. Um, each one has their quirks and stuff. So I have to kind of account for different efficiencies and the way, how much like aroma, hop needs to get in to get the right aroma, that kind of thing. If there's weird processes or, you know, they want to put lime juice in hot side or they want to, you know, do some other kind of ingredient that we don't normally handle. I have to worry about that. And then, and then what's really hard is I kind of have to also capture the spirit of the beer that they're going for yeah. just straight scaling things up and using the same proportions of everything. Oh, yeah. Often doesn't get you the same beer. No, not at all. And so I have to go back to those guys and be like, what did you really want here? You know, are we really trying to showcase this hop or are we, are we keeping this spice like real subtle kind of threshold level or what is, you know, what does that mean? Um, and so far it's taken several years, but I'm getting, pretty
0: okay at it i mean i would say so uh what uh what's one in particular from that that one that you think that you you uh pretty much hit nail on the head as best as you you felt like you could and what was the most
1: difficult so yeah um Usually the uh, Voodoo Ranger series, like the one-off series that we do for that, the that we do for that. They're, you know, we'll just have like a bigger malt bill than an existing beer and then change up all the hops on it. So those are pretty straightforward for me to scale up. Um, Higher Plane is like our current uh, Voodoo Ranger IPA release. And that one was like, I could look what they were going for. I could see what hops were in it and I could just write the recipe based on that. Um, And then stuff like, I don't know if you guys had that beer mural that we make. It's like a collaboration uh, with Primus out of Mexico City.
0: I had I had one of those when I was in Philly uh, at a Mexican joint there.
1: So it's like it's going for an aquafresca, mm-hmm. um, and it is beer. It's malt, malt based, and it's just really hard because there's like um, you have to get the color right, and so we add this hibiscus, you know, powder for some of the color, and this hibiscus tea for some more of the color. Um, and you have to get the, uh, watermelon lime flavor, right. And so, you know, we have to like do the brew house recipe and then bring in usually a full effie. We have to bring in 18 drums of fruit and pump that into the fermenter before we knock out underneath it. So then it's this big coordination effort and stuff. So those are kind of challenging. The other thing that I've come across recently is like, we've started doing a couple of beers that will advertise calories and carbs on them. Yeah. And getting ABV and calories and carbs to all match is a challenge.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I never even thought about that. Uh, they're
1: they're all, they all influence each other. Yeah, they can run independently of each other. And different yeasts will even throw it out to where, you know, you have more of an ABV, but but more calories left behind and stuff like that. So it's it's confusing. Um, yeah, yeah. And then anything that we have to blend with the wood cellar, they they're like, we want it to be this color after you blend it. So then you have to do all the color calculations to get what you're going to make in the brew house to, to blend with that and then get the color. Then they say, we want to have it land at, you know 0.6% titratable acidity. So then you have to figure out the volume to be able to bring the 1.2 sour base down to 0. 0.6. And then they're like, well, we want, you know our sour base is six, but we want this beer to be 7.2. So then I have to get the gravity for that right. Um, And those are all, again, competing factors that you have to get to balance exactly right to make the blend that we want to have happen. So if you have a a New Belgium Sour IPA, give it some love because it it takes a lot of managing things to get there.
2: I actually have your uh, True Collab where I live. Yeah. Yeah. And I had that a few weeks ago. And the official glass. (laughs)
1: Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah, that was an interesting one to make too because we had one shot. We made one, you know, hundred barrel batch essentially, and it had to all get this, um, you know, the right yeast, and then get into a fooder and stay in the fooder for a month. And one of the challenges we have is small batches like that small, and I mean, a hundred barrels is as small as we can go (laughs) really. Um, It's hard to do a batch that small, like, you know just the amount of like water pickup you get in pushing out like the way is enough to throw the gravity off and so you have to account for that kind of thing you have to account for you know a little bit of water mixing every time you move it and this is a beer that got several movements uh so those kind of things are like challenging like recently we got asked to do another 100 barrel beer and i'm like i just can we just do 200 you know find <laughs> a couple draft accounts for it it will we'll have a 100 percent more chance of being successful
0: so, uh that was, I, I noticed that's a 16 ounce can too. Was that done on your regular line or was that a uh, mobile?
1: No, that well, no. Cause that's enough volume to do it on a regular okay. line. But it's also, and you'll notice there's a plastic overlap on the can. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, that is, it's too small to do a can run for. So we actually had to get labels made and because, um, you know recycling sorting machines don't recognize that outer label we actually made a kind of a zipper on it so you can yeah, see that. take the, the label off and recycle the can
0: yeah uh winwood uh down in miami they do that on uh their specialty run stuff too they have a little line on it and they say like hey tear this tear this off before you recycle it i and i think that that's pretty dope
1: yeah yeah i mean i think the paper label is great you know those those are successful um, but I like the idea of, of encouraging people to recycle in maybe a roundabout way a little bit. Be like, we just made it easier for you. you know? Yeah. Kind
0: of fun. Um, Joel, do you, you have any other questions uh, for, for Matt right now? Uh, I mean, not that we're wrapping up, but I feel like no, I've, I... I've said a lot.
2: No, it's, um, it's always fascinating to hear the... Just the size and scope of things. I mean, I remember going there for the first time, I want to say it was like 2013, and just being in awe of the giant fermenters outside, and then going into the cellar and all of that stain, stainless and the piping just going this way and that. I mean, you know, for, for me at the time, being at a 15 barrel brewery and maybe putting in, I don't know, 100 grams or so of salts and things. And you guys just have massive pipes, just pumping like phosphoric acid and caustic this way. And that, I mean, it, it's when I sit back and think of just the engineering alone. And, and, and by the way, thank you for setting up that uh tour for me in Asheville. Oh yeah. Um, no problem.
1: That was great. Who, yeah, who actually it, toured you around? I'm sorry. Who actually toured you around?
2: That oh day? God, it was a year ago and my memory is the worst. I know I've got it in my email uh from way back when i, I failing to remember his name, but really good dude, Um, you know, really, really took us around and and showed us the ins and outs. I I apologize. I can't remember the name at the moment, but um, yeah, that was like a year ago now. And, um, you know, he like, for, for an example of like the engineering and the scope of things, I remember him talking about how there was a certain area that needed to be like like land had to be like tamped down and, and fortified basically To even take the weight of your equipment And building and everything And when I think about that stuff It's just I, like my mind just my, my eyes go crossed And my mind goes blank Because it's like I can't even imagine The engineering that goes behind all that stuff And it's the same when I go to like Sierra Nevada Or when I look at pictures of Firestone Walker And, and like there's clearly someone Who knows how all this stuff works And I just look around and I'm like I'm so blown away and, and intimidated in a way, like just how does this all come together?
1: It's funny because like I actually do all the hiring for our brewing team as well. Um, and I get a lot of people who are like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of interested in it, but everything is so complex. I can never learn all of it. And I'm like, well, one, you don't have to learn all of it. Like you can just, we have brewing divided up into different areas and people just kind of specialize in one or two areas. So you're not eating the whole elephant, you know, so to speak. Um, and two, it's really a collection of a lot of simple things put together in a creative way. If you can figure out how a valve works and how a pump works and how to get liquid from point A to point B, that's half the battle right there, you know? And, and I really do think anyone can, can learn that system. Some people take longer than others, so. <laughs>
2: I remember, um, and and at my last brewery, you know, my boss was not someone who knew anything about beer or brewing, but um, I recall being on the tour with him and pointing at a pallet of bags of gypsum. And I'm like, see all those bags? I'm like, I'm still on my first from two years <laughs> ago. <laughs>
1: Yeah, typical shift. You'll have to throw probably four or five of those, at least. Really? In the brew house, yeah.
2: Oh my god, <laughs> that is just unprecedented. You know, in in my mind.
1: Well, it's funny because I get the other side of it too. You know, I've been on uh, trips where we went to like salespeople's best account. They're like, you know, we just got this beer in two weeks ago, and they've already been through nine cases of it. And I'm like, that's cool. That's about eleven seconds on the bottling line. <laughs> it's just it's a different mindset
2: yeah that was another thing when we when we did the packaging tour and there's that tv display hanging from the ceiling and and you know we're looking through the window at it and i want to say it was like 11 a.m and there had already been over a hundred thousand bottles and i started running the math and i'm like that's more than we brewed this year
1: (laughs) (laughs) well it's funny it's funny too because i think about that i haven't been in that building in more than seven months because we've got everybody segregated out that goes to the brewery. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, it is a little bit mind boggling. And when, you know, we've been doing like record can line weeks lately and it's just the amount of cans that we go through. I'm thankful we have a contract, but even then they're still having a hard time delivering us cans, but yeah, yeah. we'll have, you know, over a hundred thousand case weeks, week after week after week, even in like September, when we're supposed to be slow. Yeah. Um, it's it's just a lot. I forget how much beer that represents to a lot of people.
0: We're we're having a trouble trouble getting just like a couple pallets of brights into our place right now. We luckily our our core brands are all printed, but like to do some uh some of our other stuff in twelve like just twelve ounce brights. We it's it's tough out there,
1: right? Well, and I don't know- Go ahead.
0: Cigar City uh, or just canarchy in general. Phil was talking about how they started reusing like brand cans that they like discontinued and using the, 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 the sleeves on them. And then there was that whole thing a couple weeks ago, an article, I guess about some guy who like tore one of those off. And I wish Phil was here to actually comment more on it or not comment on it, but it's just like, and they threw a fit that there was a different brand underneath,
1: underneath the sleeve. I mean, they're, they're lucky to have a beer in their hand at all at that point. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I think I saw a tweet or a post or something about that, that, that somebody had peeled off a like a Dale's label and there was something else underneath it.
2: Yeah.
0: I, I just, you gotta be creative uh, yeah. in, in some instances. And if, and it's completely legal too. It's not like when people say you got to get creative and you're doing something illegal or shady, but like you got label approval, you purchase these labels, you got them applied to the cans. Uh, you have your, your everything in a row. And then one person goes and wants to make a, make a fuss about
2: it. And what's funny is like, it- the only thing you could possibly conceive from like, having an issue with that is like, this guy thinks what the brewery is going to try to pull a fast one
1: and like relabel. Right. Like
2: who does that?
1: <laughs> nobody, especially, especially nobody, nobody that. that big. Right. Uh, I'm bummed Phil isn't here. Cause uh, I have a kind of funny can- canarchy related story. Um, when I was a left hand, I was working with a guy who's, you know, had been around for a number of years, you know, went from Homer into brewing and he ended up, um, Getting a job at another brewery, and he called me and and the other brewers up a couple of days later. These guys, he's like, you guys got to come by here and check this out. We're doing something totally new. And I get there, and um, he's like, check this out. My boss bought a two-head canning machine, and we're gonna put Dale's Ale, Dale's Pale Ale, into cans. He's like, they had gotten it the day before. They were just putting out their very first. Dale's Pale Ale cans. He's like, You think this is a fly? you think people are ready for a beer in a can? And I was like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'll drink <laughs> it. I'll definitely drink those cans. But, you know, that was kind of witnessing the very beginning of what is totally commonplace now. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's history. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't day one first can or anything, but it was first week. And uh,
0: I feel like I remember the first time I was out in Colorado in, what year was that? Two thousand nine. Uh, that we went to Boulder and saw a little two-head filler that they had there for cans, and uh, and this was the day after we had been to uh, Longmont, uh, uh, the Oscar oh, Blues facility yeah. there, and it's like, wow, two completely different ends of the spectrum here. Right. And just like, what, 30 minutes apart from one another. uh, It's and now to think of like a two head filler, you're like uh, those the nano guys are using those things now. Right. But that was Boulder
1: who was using that. Yeah. And well, I mean, everybody's got to start somewhere.
0: Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. But it's just funny because we had Boulder beer in in Florida and to, to go over to Colorado and be like, Oh, this is where like hazed and infused uh uh is is made. Like, wow. It's
1: just two heads. Yeah, that was an interesting place to work. The first brewery in any town is never the best brewery in that town, for sure. <laughs> um and they will the actually have
0: a great story about being yelled at uh on the tour of uh Boulder. <laughs> I, I can only imagine. Uh, I can't remember who it was. Uh You would definitely know. He's a long time guy there. He's like a sales guy uh, mostly, I think. But uh, (laughs) Phil stuck his hand in uh, like a kettle, and the guy yelled at him. It was mostly joke in jest, but like (laughs) Phil, Phil did dumb things. That's okay too. (laughs) What? uh, So twenty three years at New Belgium. Yeah, you guys are massive now what what was the barrelage output when you started there
1: oh so that was 97 so we would have uh just broken 100,000 barrels that year um the December 97 when I started was their first ever 10,000 barrel month and and the interesting thing is you know zero to 100,000 barrels took six and a half years for New Belgium. I don't know. Like there's been some fast growing breweries since then, but I don't know if, if that record still stands. Um, cause they started in June of 91 and hit a hundred thousand barrels in December of 97. But I think, I think like Ryan guys came pretty close to that, but yeah, they sure.
2: grew pretty fast,
1: but yeah, there were only, you know, maybe 45 people that worked there at the time. And, and now we're, we're well North of 700. Wow. And with all the people who have left that started before me, I think I'm like employee number 17 now. Wow. Something like that. But who, who keeps track of those kind of things? <laughs> no one, no Nobody. one.
0: Uh, now, I know one of the maybe touchy subjects was the acquisition last year. Yeah. Um, what, if anything, ha- has that you i mean you could even lie to us and we wouldn't even know are is things still pretty much business as usual over there or is there change for the good uh like has it really
1: like what what all has happened over there since then so yeah that's that's a really good question so that sale actually went down i think we first heard about it as as employees about a year ago you know beginning in november and the actual sale went through you know January 1st. Um, and the, the Lion Little Oil Beverage, which is the Australian company that bought us, um, even though they're wholly owned by Kieran, they operate as an independent corporation. They have their own board of directors and stuff like that. Really, there's no management by Kieran at all. So I think one misconception is that we're run by Kieran, and that's not even true. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, one of the reasons that they bought us first is because they kind of liked how we were doing things anyway. And so they, they've been very hands-off with everything so far. We were supposed to get three of their employees kind of stuck permanently in Fort Collins in March. That didn't happen. So we haven't really seen anybody from there except for the initial visits that they've had. And we've been running things exactly the same. Um, The only thing that we've had is like, uh, they've started putting our metrics up against some of their other businesses metrics. And what they've asked us to do is like try to match, you know, extract efficiencies and hectoliters per employee and safety incidents and stuff like that. Australians are huge on safety. So, you know, our, our we, you know, somebody that threw out their back or something like that made us look really bad, um, but they haven't done anything to change anything at all. Um, And the interesting thing is too, and this is why I say that we're their first acquisition is because they earmarked like 8.9 billion to um, acquire US craft breweries. And they haven't spent, you know, but a fraction of that so far. So it's, you know, I think we're gonna be kind of the hub of maybe a, a network as they, you know, go in and kind of cherry pick some of these breweries over the next several years. That is speculation on my part. I want to make that clear. I don't know <laughs> if and when they're going to actually do that, but it seems like that's their intent. And and we're centrally located, and we're already relatively large, so I think we're going to be kind of the the hub on their in their wheel. But yeah, anyways. and
0: I'm sure that COVID has changed a lot of uh, a lot of things for the world. Uh, yeah. But I mean, being a a big packaging brewery, uh, st- even during this time still isn't that bad
1: uh, oh no no no! we're all we're well positioned the off-premise so yeah. you know our numbers went straight through the roof as soon as, as quarantine hit and they've stayed high since um and i it for most of the summer it streamlined our brand next too so it was like you know we're used to putting out 20 brands a week and we went down to like eight and it was just like this dream come true it's so easy to only make eight brands a week uh, now it's kind of creeping back up when we're making more specialty beers and stuff. But um, yeah, I think, you know, do you guys get beer business daily or craft business daily? Uh,
0: Phil does. Okay. He, yeah, he will forward stuff to us every once in a while.
1: But they were saying like, you know, Sam Adams is up like 12% and we're up like 35 this year. It's it's bananas. And it's been, and that's that's with two packaging lines. Our, we haven't run the keg line. We didn't run it at all from March to almost August. And we've been running it like a day, a week since then. So to squeeze all that beer through two thirds of our packaging lines, that's been an interesting challenge.
2: Yeah. Did you guys send anything off to be distilled?
1: Yeah, we actually, we'll take dump beer. Uh, anything that's out of spec enough that we can't blend it out or that's out of season. Like we brewed more than they were willing to take at the end of a season of some seasonal beer. And then we even have like, beer from the wood cellar that's kind of gone too far um and all those we put in this blend tank and we can ship them off there's a distillery in denver that we've been working with for a long time called leopold brothers um at one point they were making like uh lawfully hand sanitizer essentially oh, really? that stuff that had been in the barrels for like three years <laughs> and even had this faint like you know kind of wood cellar smell to it um, you
0: guys did a blackberry whiskey barrel aged sour with them that I got at like it was on tap at the GABF like Brewers uh, reception in your parking lot and I, I sell that beer to this day it was it was in amazing.
1: Well, it's, it's, that's why I say we've had such a great relationship with them because they'll give us whatever barrels we want. They make some really interesting whiskeys. And then, yeah, we can take a single barrel of something that made a really unique whiskey and take sour beer. That's already been sitting in a barrel for a number of years and is soured anyway, put it in one of those cool barrels for six months and you have a completely different, you know, yeah. beer product and beer experience. Um,
0: real, real quick question, because I always forget uh, Oscar and Felix, which one's blonde and which one's dark?
1: Oscar is the dark one. Okay. Felix is the blonde one. Okay. Yeah. And that's, that whole program has been kind of interesting. Cause like, you know, that essentially started about a week into my career at New Belgium. Oh, really? Yeah. It's been around that long. Yeah. And they, so, uh, you
0: know, cause I, I, feel like I've heard on the, 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 good beer hunting podcast, like when they, uh, cause you guys were like a sponsor of the show uh you did that series uh into the woods uh with yeah. them uh that it's one of the the America's longest uh, like sour culture
1: uh going on yeah so that day in december 97 they had we took six flasks out of the lab that had you know some had botanomyces, some had you know acetobacter lactobacillus even some pediococcus um and we we inoculated the first eight barrels that we had um I carried a couple of those flasks out and that was the last time we've inoculated anything um with anything funky that went into our wood cellar so since then whenever we get a new barrel in we'll put some beer from another barrel in and then just top it up with fresh beer and kind of let whatever happens happen That's and so then cool. you know each barrel takes on its own kind of like unique characteristics because so many things influence it you know even in where where the barrel is in the room might be a warmer or cooler spot. You know, some barrels are tall and skinny, some barrels are short and fat. So they have different, you know, uh, volume to surface area ratios and get different amounts of oxygen through the wood. So then they behave differently. Um, and it just takes somebody going through and tasting them every week at least and really getting to know the barrels. Because that you know once a barrels kind of established itself as having a certain Frico system inside of it, um, it tends to produce those flavors. So you know, it's the blender's art is really understanding each barrel and what it's going to bring. Did you say freako system? I, that I did. Yes. <laughs> is that a technical term? <laughs> um, no, but that's been the word I use to describe those barrels for a long time. I, I got fucking I gotta love from that yeah. word. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the Onion had an article about releasing hippies into the wild and how they contribute to the freako system, <laughs> and I thought that was freaking hilarious. <laughs> I have never. Can, re- well, I can <laughs> cut that out
0: and just pretend that you came up with that.
1: Okay. Yeah. No, that is 100% my joke. I wrote it originally and I wrote it in probably 1994
0: before I saw it in the onion. <laughs> Done. Deal.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah. And then, so that's, you know, you guys probably thought, saw that Twitter thread where somebody had found PH1, which yeah. was one of the original eight barrels that we inoculated that day. And then it's been handed around to a few different breweries, but still with enough beer in it to keep the Freca system alive. Um, And, you know, I went and took some pictures of PH2 and this one we call Inoc2. There were two of the same eight um, just to share out that we still have.
0: Uh, Yeah, uh, because Peter now has it back, right?
1: I believe Peter has it back at purpose, yeah.
0: Because uh, I, I think it was Rare Barrel uh, came across it, and then they gave it back to Peter after they used it. Uh, was well, the Russian result. River had
1: it for a while for a number of years. Yeah, and and it was it was unknown to us at that point. Like one of our brewers went there and was like, "That's fucking pH one right there. Like that's <laughs> one of our barrels." Um, so it it had been given given as a gift, and then kind of lost to antiquity, and then rediscovered.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think that a series on, and it's, this is not my idea, this is uh, Anye, yeah. uh, her idea of having a, a podcast about that barrel and its voyage of, like, would be fantastic. At least from a geeky standpoint of us people in the industry. I don't know if uh, your drinkers might might get it, but.
1: There's an audience for that, for sure. Yeah. You know, I think that'd be fascinating to do. And I like the idea of starting with like the most recent owner of it. And then working backwards until, yeah. you know, the original inoculation of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I don't know. That's one of those things that nobody knew that we were, you know, we just thought we were making beer. Nobody th- knew that we were weaving this incredible story that so many different people were going to have a, a part on. But
0: Yeah and I feel like it's still not that well known of a story and it deserves to be. That's that's why I think that that whole idea of a podcast dedicated to it would be awesome because there are some really great stories that deserve to be heard in this industry that are just seemingly drinking stories. And I, I, I don't know if people know or care or, or whatnot, but maybe whatever, whatever seems entertaining to me might not be for others, obviously, but that is a story that I think needs to be heard.
1: Well, I think there's, and there's a lot of stories like that out there. You know, that's just yeah. one of many. I think that, you know, the story of, of, you know, who has who makes cans now and take that all the way back to that, that day at, at uh, Oscar blues and lions, when they decided to put beer in cans and figure that out, you know, that that's an interesting story too. That's kind of a piece of crap brew history now.
2: At the very yeah. least that barrel needs its own social media. I mean, <laughs> right. there's an account for Garrett Oliver's hat,
1: <coughs> right? The,
2: the fly on Mike Pence's head had like 400 accounts that night. Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> PH one needs its own account. <laughs> and, and with a, with a, a sour personality kind of oh, like yeah. these kids, you know,
0: it's like a, uh, your, your voodoo Ranger account. Right. Uh, which I've seen, I've seen some great stuff uh, come from that one. Really well run account.
1: It's yeah, that brand has taken off, so we're we're willing to invest in in getting some good peeps for it. Because it didn't even have a Twitter account until this year, which is insane to me.
0: Yeah, to start a uh, a a brand focused Twitter account, social media blitz, if you will, for something in twenty twenty is. Uh, a risk
1: right or and or it's the only way to meet customers you know that's true yeah <laughs>
0: excellent point
1: excellent point right yeah it's kind of fun all um, right well do you guys have time for another like old-time brewing story about when i was new as a brewer yeah, yeah please sure um so When I worked at Boulder Beer, just down the street was this little one man brewing operation called Avery Brewing. And Adam Avery ran it. And he was so close. And we used a lot of the same ingredients, some kind of process aids and stuff. Like if we ran out of oxygen during knockout, we could send somebody over to Avery and grab their oxygen tank if they weren't using it and bring it back and finish knockout. We traded, you know, boxes of hops or filter pads or whatever. Um, And so I was over there one day and Again, it was just me and Adam, like his, it was him and his dad and his sister His he did all the production, his sister did all the sales and their dad kind of helped out whoever needed to help. Um, but it was just Adam. And he's like, hey, I, you know, I feel like one of the next big things is going to be IPA. So I made an IPA, you want to try it? And I was like, sure, you know, this is probably middle of 96 now. And not, there weren't that many IPAs out then. Um, and so, You know, he had some in a bright tank ready to go, poured me a glass, and it was this really great IPA. And they haven't changed the recipe much since. Like, that is Avery IPA. That was the very first brew of it. Wow. wow, Kind of cool. And then I ran into him on the street after I moved on to my next job. And uh, he's like, you should come work for me. I'm starting to hire a few folks. I was like, that's cool. And he's like, six? I was like, six what? He's like, 625. And I was like, what? He's like, six. 50? and I was like an hour are you kidding me um, no way you know that you know I'm worth more than that I was making 625 at the time so I actually was not worth more than that at all um, but yeah it's just one of those things I could have had a completely different career path direction had I taken him up on that um, and that is if that was counts as an interview it was one of the weirdest ones I've ever been yeah <laughs>
0: You you played hardball on that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm like, dude, I'm I'm worth 6'75, man. <laughs> I'll take that to my grave.
0: Uh I I still have not been to the new facility uh since I since they've opened that. I've only been to the original one just like in the middle of that industrial park.
1: Yeah. Well, that place was legendary for sure. Yeah. Um but the new one is nice because it really was designed by a brewer, you know, somebody who really cares about the beer they make and stuff. And they put some bells and whistles into it and they did a lot of engineering, but it's also, they have a lot of flexibility. They can make beers just crazy high OGs. Um, They can do, you know, dry hopping. They've got this big barrel room. That's all like climate controlled and stuff. Um, And then the tour is all on these kind of like balconies and walkways above all of the brewing operations and all the packaging operations. So you really get a, a better sense than than most brewery tours of what's what's really going on.
0: Oh wow! So um, and it's then, all like catwalked. And- yeah, it's all That's kind like- of
1: catwalk nice. above there, and then it feeds right into their restaurant, which is excellent. Like they always have thirty of their beers on tap. The um, the guy they hired to kind of run it is this barbecue genius. So everything they make is you're going to get a fantastic beer and a fantastic meal if you go there for sure. And again, it's in a weird part of the Boulder area that you wouldn't normally. <laughs> go-to if you had any reason to be there.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, uh, I think, I think, uh, we can start wrapping things up about here. Um, since you are a listener of the show, I think, you know, what, uh, the, the question we've started asking every one of our guests now, right? What
1: is your go-to Taco Bell order? (laughs) Um, so the last time I ordered the last several, several times I ordered Taco Bell, I got four tacos Supreme and a Mexican pizza. Um, I understand the Mexican pizza is no longer part of the menu. I do have to say too, I haven't had Taco Bell in more than 20 years. So (laughs) that, that was my regular order, but, uh, you know, I haven't, I haven't darkened the door of a Taco Bell in quite some time. No, I was a real dick in my twenties and I was like, I'm not fucking eating fast food anymore and I'm not fucking drinking soda anymore or whatever. Now I'm like, uh, oh, is that so bad? So.
0: <laughs> I I've actually stuck to the uh the no soda thing in, in my life and I, I'm I'm happier in that way, but I still do indulge in some some t-
1: uh fast food every now and then. <laughs> I am, I am crunch wrap curious. I would like to know what a crunch wrap actually (laughs) tastes like. Crunch wrap
0: curious. You heard it here first.
1: I've never tried the crunch wrap, but I've heard good things, but like, (laughs) I'm a little scared, you know? I feel Um, like
2: when we're out there next, we have to bring you back.
1: All right. All right. I'm willing to do it. Is there one in Fort Collins? There's yeah, there's several. Okay. So, um, So I got a question for you guys. Okay. Um, If you had to get up and it was in a good situation, like with your friends, hanging out, drinking and stuff, but you had to get up and just nail one uh, uh, karaoke song. What would it be? Oh, God.
0: I don't know because I feel like everything that I think I'm good at when I'm drunk, I am definitely not good at. If I have to nail it.
1: Let's just say everybody has to have a good time. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be perfect, but it's something, you know, that expresses who you are. You know, people would expect it out of you maybe to know you well.
0: Wow. This might be the best question ever asked (laughs) on the show.
1: So, you know where I got this question from? somebody I was interviewing asked me this question, asked the whole interview team this question. He's like, I want to get a feel for where you guys heads are at. So tell me you know, what's <laughs> your karaoke song. And I was like, that's a really good question. Uh,
2: for me, I'd say in 2020, uh, it would probably be the Richard cheese version of people equal shit. Okay.
1: <clears throat> Um oh god um, I, I don't know all the lyrics to it, so I probably wouldn't choose that myself. <laughs> it's it's pretty
2: simple.
0: It's a it's a cover of a slipknot song, correct?
1: Yeah. So yes, that sounds simple.
0: <laughs> um oh shit. I I would probably say I could probably nail when I come around. Uh from green day like yeah. like billy joe has a has an easy ish voice i think that i could i could uh replicate drunk or sober nice. and i know i know all the words to, to that it's like I'm, I'm not a a green day listener anymore more so to speak but i think that i could nail that one
1: yeah i don't know much after american idiot of theirs yeah <laughs> uh,
0: that that's And American Idiot probably wasn't even that much of my liking, but yeah, that's a tough one. What,
1: what about you, Matt? Yeah. Um, I would say, you know, if I had, you know, they're like pick one right now. Uh, I'd probably, I'm a nineties hip hop guy. I always love hip hop nineties is my coming of age, you know, generational area. So I would go with, um, probably the Humpty dance. Um, And if not, it'd be like summertime, DJ Jazz, of Jeff, and the Fresh Prince. Yes. Something okay. like that. You know? It's feel good tune. Everybody knows it, kind of. I think I could bust out all the lyrics if I was really on the spot. So yeah.
2: See, my answer was almost going to be It Takes Two by uh, Rob Bass. Oh yeah, that's that's pretty and, good. Um, but that's more of like the song the only song I'll dance to at some function after I've had a few. Because right. you, otherwise, you're not getting me on the dance floor.
0: Why do I feel like I have seen you dance uh, on a number of occasions, Joel? John Cook's wedding. Yep, that's it. That is definitely <laughs> it.
2: I might have even requested that song.
0: Um, Matt, anything that you want to plug? Uh...
1: Yeah, let people know where to find you and everything. Right. So, uh, yeah, you can always find me on Twitter at Maddie smooth. I'm not a prolific tweeter, but I am a prolific reader. And if somebody you know, wants to call me out for something, I'll definitely respond. Um, yeah. And then I do have something to plug. You guys may or may not know any of this, but I have my own beer talk show that I co-host. Uh, and it's every Tuesday at 3:30 mountain time. It's called the TIL beer show and we stream it live on Facebook and Twitch at twitch.tv slash Voodoo Ranger Official. The whole thing is it's this live interactive show. Anyone who tunes in live can like shoot us questions and stuff and we'll discuss, you know, oftentimes with whoever's on the show. Uh, It's super duper fun. Um, If you are a Twitch person at all, we then we do about a half an hour show and then transition it into whatever kind of the game du jour is and a bunch of our brewers and stuff log in and all play together and we invite all our listeners to log in and play together too. So, but we talk about anything. It can be beer, it can be brewing, it can be science, it can be we talked about heat for a whole hour one time. Um so check it out. It's pretty exciting. And so it, it, the more people that watch it and interact with it, the more fun it is.
0: Tuesdays, 3:30 Mountain Time. That's great. So that would be 5:30 Eastern Time. Yeah. And do the math for the rest of them. Right. Uh This has been a major pleasure. I don't a know. a lot of fun, Matt.
1: Truly, this the pleasure is all mine. Oh, what I love about your show is it's just like me and my buddies hanging out drinking beer and talking about beer. And I listen to it. And even if I'm on my way to Costco, I'm relaxing and just enjoying shooting the breeze about beer. So I love it. And I'm you know, like I said, I'm honored. Pleasure is all mine to be on your show. Thank okay. you so much.
2: Thank you. Thanks so much. And man. and on a personal note from me, you know, being at New Belgium both in, in uh, North Carolina and Fort Collins. I mean, truly just times I will never forget, you know, even, even if for what, if I were to leave the beer industry, I would still look back so fondly on those times, you know, the, uh, just some of the best days I've ever had, you know, whether it's GABF week or just, you know, being out there for whatever, always such a great time. Love your beer, love just the whole culture around you guys. Everything's been so great. And also, you know, a lot of respect and appreciation for the seminar. I mean, like like I said, you know, you really helped instill the right value for me when it comes to utilizing our resources. And I'll, I'll, that's something I'll always take with me.
1: That's really cool to hear as a, as a presenter, you don't ever really get much feedback. So I just thought I gave that presentation and people listened to it and nobody ever thought about it ever again. And then since then, I've heard a few people comment on it like yourself. And uh, I talked to a guy last year, um, who had been a brewer at the time, uh, at port brewing. And he was like, yeah, they scrapped all their dry hop procedures and started everything fresh based on what you said. And I was just like, "What? that's ridiculous. Who <laughs> would do that.
0: <laughs> well, thank you once again, Matt. Uh, and, uh, have a, have, uh, again, this has been an honor and a pleasure. Thanks so much.
1: All right, Thank you guys. It was good to, good to chat. Thanks. Cheers, man. Cheers, you guys.
0: All right. One more time. A big thank you to Maddie for coming on the show. It really was a pleasure for us. Uh, We could have probably talked for a lot longer than we did. Um, and it's kind of funny that for for someone who we have mainly interacted with through social media, uh, it it, it feels like we we know him so well, and uh, like we could just go out and have beers and bullshit with him, just like he was talking about on the show, uh, listening to the show, and thinking about how uh, it's like talking to his friends, and it means a lot to us, uh, because he's someone that we definitely look up to in this industry. Um, Well, thank you everyone for joining us. Um, Make sure that you follow our social media. Uh, We're always on Twitter at United We Drink. We're on Instagram at United We Drink Pod. We are also on Facebook. Uh, the show can be listened to in practically any fashion that suits your podcast listening needs. Our website is unitedwedrink.com where you can listen to the show and we're on almost all of the major podcast services such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to podcasts, we should be available there. If you can't find our show on your service of choice, let us know. Drop us a line on social media or on our website and we will do whatever we can to get onto that service. Uh, if you would like to support the show financially, check out some of our sponsors on our website. If you go to unitedwedrink.com slash sponsors, there's some great services uh, that we believe in and uh, offering them up to you. Um, any purchases that you make through them, go to support this show, uh, pay for our hosting and so forth. You can also buy a shirt, button, sticker, face mask over at our web store, unitedwedrink.com slash store. Um, Other than that, we will be back here in two weeks. Will Phil be with us? I don't know. We'll find out then. But uh, in the meantime, everyone stay safe out there. Wash your hands, wear a mask, and we'll see you soon. Cheers. Um, real quick, Gilliland. Is that the
1: Gilliland? Rhymes with okay. Kill a man.
2: <laughs> How I could just Gilliland. <laughs> <laughs>